You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Better. Just keep practicing. We'll do better. That's good. That's good. Today is the Feast of Trumpets, the day of Yom Teruah. That's the day Yom Teruah is the trumpets or the shout there. Um, so we're in 2 Peter 3, verse 14. So I put my, my uh, shofar here, but I'm a little trepidatious. To, I will try, but it makes a lot of squeaking noises. Maybe I will not use my, my don't be eyeballing me strong. I see you back there. Put the camera away, sir. Yeah, let's see. I don't know. It may take a couple. Give me, give me a couple. That's all you get. Two. <laughs> all right, we'll work on that one. That thing's hard to blow. All right, getting better. If I had 30 more years of practice, I'd about have it. But uh, yeah, so it's a big deal. So we blow the trumpet. The, it, the, the, it's a coming feast. It's a fall feast. And we, we talked about it in Sunday school. If you want those uh, notes for Sunday school, I have to print them out for you. But um, it's a big deal. So the return of Christ is preceded by a trumpet blast. And I believe to those that hear the trumpet, if they actually hear the trumpet, then those would be the believers in Christ. And those who are unable to reckon the, the sound of the trumpet, it'll sound like it did in the old days, like it did on the, on the day of Pentecost. It will sound more like a thunderings and just a loud noise, but there'll be no understanding because they have no heart for the Lord. They're not hearing his voice. They're not looking for his voice now. They're not going to be looking for his voice then. They're not looking for him. They're not looking for him to return. But we, believers in Christ, should be looking for his return. And so it, it, yesterday really was the Feast of Trumpets. Most likely Christ would return on the Feast of Trumpets. And it's kind of interesting that, uh, so if he didn't come this year, I guess we wait for next year. So we got Feast of Trumpets, we got Day of Atonement coming up, and then we have Tabernacles, God with us there about 15 days more or less from now. And many people would say it's kind of a silly thing. I mean, we saw it in Second Peter. They've been saying this for the last 2,000 years. He hadn't come yet. No, thank God he hasn't for you if you're lost. You better be really happy he hasn't come yet because when he does come, if you're without him, then there'll be a judgment. It'll be terrible. The time of the tribulation, go back and read Revelation. It's terrible. A third of the earth dies here, a fourth of the earth, a fifth of the earth die there, 10,000, 7,000 people die in one shot. It's bad. You don't want to be here for that. We want to know. We want to be listening for a sound. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me when I call. They'll come. Because they know me, because I know them. They're going to come. They're going to hear my voice. They're going to hear me call, and I'm going to run. I'm going to. I'm going to be calling for them, and they're going to come to me. Make sure you know his voice. You know what's crazy is years ago, um, as God designed the Word of God, and back there in Exodus, He made Passover the first of the year. He made that the first of the year. That was the the spring month of the year was Passover. That was the beginning of the year. But now, years later, the Jewish sages said, well, we should make Feast of Trumpets the first of the year. But Passover is Christ's death on the cross for us. That's the beginning of the spiritual life for the believer, his death on the cross. And this is the end of the life for the believer, his coming again and taking us away. 
But that's what men do in, in the evil one. They do things to distract us from the truth of what's going on in God's word and what he's trying to teach us in those things. That's why he disciplined Moses so severely. When he struck the rock the first time, God said, strike the rock. He strikes the rock, water comes out. When he strikes it the second time, he punishes Moses. Why? Because it messed up the picture. Christ was only struck once for the sins of men, not twice. And he messed up the picture. And he's like, all right, Moses, you got to pay for that one, bud. And so he didn't get to go into the promised land. We should do whatever the book tells us to do. You can't go wrong. If you do whatever the book tells you to do, you're not going to go wrong. Everything's going to be just fine. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. How can I get my paths directed? Um, uh, we'll walk in the word. Do what the word tells us to do. If the word tells me to do this, I do that. And then I'll be, I'll be set. I'll be covered. So I want to start with rereading there on this day. Well, let's go back and read 2 Peter 3. Just start at verse 10 there because we're going to learn about the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Let me re-anoint the throat there with another cough drop there. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blemish, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation." As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So depending on how much you pay attention to the world news and things like that, it might dictate how desperately you see the situation we are as in a country or as a people or as a nation or around the nations of the world. You can't, if, if men truly would do what the Bible says, it says, I'll write my law upon their hearts. So if we would listen to the law that was written on our hearts, truly listen like when we were children. Here's how I know that this is a true statement before I go to the next part. But I remember when I was a kid, I was pretty young. I would say I was five or six, and we were in a grocery store, and I stole a piece of gum. And at the time when I was taking the gum, my parents had never told me it's wrong to take gum from the, from the grocery store or anything like that. Um, I mean, we went to church, but there was something about it that just didn't, didn't feel right when I took it. I knew it was wrong. And uh, so I'm chewing gum. I get in the car. And mom's like, where'd you get gum from? <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have bought you gum. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the hounds of hell were unleashed on my behind when I got home. But that's not the point. The first time I told a lie, the first time I, I really did something dirty, um, kind of backstabbing to another person, it's because the law was written. I knew it was wrong. But, but through repeated action, we can write over the code that's on our heart. 
Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If that's the case, it's, it's, it's pure in its purest sense and when you're young. But as you begin to sin and you begin to write over that code, well, then we need something else. So we have the law written in our hearts, and then we have the law that is God's word that tells us all the things that we need to know to live a godly life and just to live a life of godliness, a life that follows Christ, to understand who the Messiah is, understand who the Father is, and so on, and how to act in that. But if each person, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with all men, if every man lived according to that quip right there from Corinthians, if every man lived as much as possible with him, lived at peace with all men, you wouldn't have, like we saw in that video where the guy was beating the hound out of the other guy. You wouldn't have road rage. You wouldn't have all those things. Because we were, we'd be seeking to live at peace with all men. We could even go into Walmart and be at peace with all men in Walmart. It would be easier anyway. <laughs> Walmart's rough, man. I'm telling you, that'll pull it out of you. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we don't. And from the Genesis to Revelation... We can see that there's an end of all things to come. The end of all things is at hand. We can see that more than once. It's not just in Peter or in Revelation, but the end of all things is at hand. And from the first time that Adam was put on the earth and he sinned, from then the end of all things is coming. It's not here yet. It's not here today, maybe, but it's coming. We can see it degenerating. Other generations have seen the world degenerate in ways and Maybe there's been a renewal or a revival like there in the late 1800s. You know, you got Spurgeon and those guys really preaching, and there's this kind of huge European uh, England and United States revival going on in that time. There's like a, there's like a, 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 you know, the thing that President Biden talks about, the Great Reset. When he talks about it, trust me, it's a negative. But the Great Reset that happened at that Great Revival, the Second Great Awakening there with Spurgeon and those guys, um, that was a tremendous thing. It reset the minds of people back onto Christ, back onto spiritual things, back onto holy things. There was discipline that came. World War I came after that, not too long after that, only about 30, 40 years or so, 30, 20 or 30 years maybe. And in World War II after that, it's not like negative things quit happening at all. But the people's hearts were right. The moral code was rewritten on the hearts and in the minds. People were reading the book again, and people were coming to Christ, and there was people being saved and so on like that. And we're a long way from that. The last kind of revival we've really seen of any, of any size would have been maybe in the days of Billy Graham where he was just going around preaching repentance and preaching salvation. But it, it didn't stick. For some reason, it didn't stick. It was a shallow salvation for many people where they prayed a prayer of forgiveness or salvation, but then they continued to live the life. They, I mean, some people changed fully, but excuse me, many of them never changed from the way they lived before. And so we didn't see a change in our culture. We saw our culture just continue to degrade and the, and the voices of wickedness just get louder and louder. So, and when we think about things as men too, we always kind of go with the worst case scenario. Like anything bad, we have a kid and like, uh, he'll probably grow up to be ugly or he'll probably grow up to be dumb. You know, we have a, we have a marriage, ah, it'll probably end up in, you know, divorce court. And we have a, a, a country like, ah, it'll probably end in, you know, whoever, the Soviets bombing us. We, we tend to think negatively that way anyway. But when we use God's word as our guide, we see that the end of all things is pretty negative. If you're not a saved person, even if you are a saved person, there's, a, there's a, a, a certain amount of torment that you may go through. But as an unsaved person, it's terrible. So knowing that, there really is an end to all things. We read verse 12 again. It says, well, first it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It'll be in an instant. 
It's not going to be a long, drawn-out process. It'll be, I can't believe it happened. Like, I want to talk about the World Trade Center uh, bombing there, the 9-11 thing. I meant to mention it last week, but it works better this week. And how everybody, I remember that day, you might probably remember where you were, some of you younger people know, but uh, how I was just sitting at home and, and Renetta comes rolling in and I was out outside working. It happened about 8, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and she comes out there Eastern time and she comes in and she goes, Dale, all hell is broken loose. And what are you talking about? Dale, they're, they're flying airplanes into buildings in New York. I'm like, who's flying? I mean, the day of the Lord is like that. Everything's at peace as far as you know, and then something just absolutely ridiculous happens, and the trumpet sounds, people are whisked away, people are sent into tribulations, kingdoms start to fall, earthquakes, all this crazy, like everything was fine. What's going on? But there is an end of all things to come. We, we just haven't got there yet. By God's long suffering, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Because of his mercy, because of his chested, long-suffering love. It's The word is loving kindnesses. That's the word. Because of his loving kindnesses, we are not consumed. Because you're here today and you're breathing air and you, you know, whatever, you can still swallow and see out of your eyes. You have not been consumed yet because of the Lord's loving kindnesses, because he is the creator of all things. He's the caretaker, the guardian of all things. He guarded you thus far to hear today, and you're here now to hear this. It's going to come. It's going to come in an instant. And it says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manners of person? We talked about that last week. Knowing that he's going to come, what are the things that you're holding on to now that are just ridiculous? How dare someone else, you know, pull in front of me at the at the gas station or at the at the drive-thru or onto the road how dare he well i mean the end of all things is coming that's the that's the biggest thing you got to sweat i, b I believe you got other things you need to be worried about looking for verse 12 and hastening we talked about that last week or i dwell more on that but before we move on uh to this verse too deeply in verse 12 it says looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Go back to 2 Thessalonians just for a second. 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. So, we have the end of days described in the Bible in a couple places. You know, Matthew 24 is a good place. First uh, and Second Thessalonians is a good place. Um, you can see some things about it in Daniel. Uh, you can see some small parts of it here and there in Isaiah. You can see a lot of it in Revelation. Second Thessalonians 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly or freely, maybe yours says freely, and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we, may be, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We'll read this first part. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, and I like the word freely, and the King James says freely, and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Before you get 
too twisted up in the coming of the day of the Lord and the firing and the melting and the fervent heat and so on. I want you to look at this. It's in Revelation uh, 21. We see a very similar word, 21 verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And in Revelation 22 and 17, something very similar. And the spirit and the bride said, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's all about being free. Um, in that Thessalonians verse, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. They can flow where it wants to flow. If I take a five-gallon bucket of water, and I, and this was all, when this was concrete before, you know, it would really flow, but if I take it and I just pour it out, it's allowed to go where it goes and contact what it contacts, right? Especially on concrete. You could cover this whole room with five gallons. You could pour it out here and squeeze it out and cover every inch of this room. It's allowed to flow how it flows. Looking for and hastening the coming day of God by which, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. While that's fixing to go down, you can be free. You can be free with this water that flows into you and flows out. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely, as much as you want. Drink as much as you want. You can stick your head under the pump and just have your friend, that's kind of before your days, but where you used to pump and it came out in big gushes and you can just, just put as much as you want in the hole. It can just run all over you. But what we, what we tend not to do is, is to receive it as freely, and we're really, really spare in pouring it back out. But he says, let the word of God, the course of it, let, let it have free course. Let it flow in these last days and be glorified, even as it is with you. And that way may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all men have faith. The word of God enables the believer in Christ to walk within and against a wicked world. Even though all these things are going to melt with fervent heat, the power of God, the power of his salvation, the word of God, if it runs freely through you, if the word flows freely through you and out of you, you have the power to walk in a wicked world without being injured by it. I'm not saying they won't take your life. I'm not saying they won't give you stripes. I'm not saying they won't behead you. But I'm saying as far as it is between you and the only person that matters, and that is the Father, you can run, you can do all things freely. You can be free. And I told him this, we talked about this in the rescue mission, this free thing, and this was in John chapter 8. And he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if there's abiding, if there's a continuing in, if there's a dwelling in, then you begin to become more and more and more free. It's a big deal. Many of us do not abide in God's word and we're less free as a believer than we were as an unbeliever. Somebody told us about the, the gospel, received the gospel, but then we never grew, we didn't read the word, we didn't surround ourselves with other believers, we didn't listen to preaching, we, didn't, we just were like, oh, thanks for the salvation, got the fire insurance, I'm good to go, everything's, everything's going to be fine. And then I went back to my old life and lived um, just as, pitifully as I lived before I was saved, so-called. 
and I wasn't any freer. But if I abide in Christ, which means to dwell or to continue with, if I continue with Christ and the things that he's teaching me as I read his word, as I pray, and I study the Bible, and I hear the word, and, and, I, and, I, and I run what I hear from people through the word, as I develop myself in that, as I'm developed spiritually in that, the chains that bound me of the sinful past and behavior, the things I've done, they begin to fall off. Maybe not all at once, but over time. And eventually, you are you're that kind of person. Uh, Mark's not here this morning, but you're that kind of person. Now, you don't really don't care what other people think. Many people are afraid to confess Christ before other people because they're worried what they think instead of worrying what the Father thinks. But if I'm completely free, I don't care. You know, the little kid, the kid runs through the yards you know, naked when it's raining. We had a couple of those. Whenever it rained, man, they just stripped down. They'd get to run around in the rain. They don't care. They were free. They didn't care what other people thought about them. They didn't care that it was raining. They liked it. They liked the feel of the rain. They liked the feel of the grass. They were free. But as we get older, we get more restrained and we cover up and we tighten up and we shrivel up and we dry up. But, but we're not being filled with Christ. We're filled with Christ. It says, out of the innermost parts of the man will flow rivers of living water. Rivers, not dribble, not spittle, not one drop, but a lot. But for a lot to come out, a lot's got to go in. If you've got a lot going in, then you'll be very able for a lot to flow back out onto other people. And it'll give you more freedom. Trying to figure out the schemes of men and the supernatural without the guidebook or the gospel or without the scriptures, without the Bible, it'd be impossible. Trying to figure out what the enemy's doing and you're not reading up on the enemy, tough to figure out. You're going to have to learn the hard way. Uh, learning the hard way is the slow way, I will tell you. It's much better to watch someone else learn the hard way and learn from their boo-boos. Just a, just a pointer there, young people. It's really much better to watch somebody else goof it up bad and say, oh, I ain't doing that. When we got the book, God tells us what happens when men turn their backs on and worship useless idols and follow graven images and follow false teachers. And we, we got all the things. We see what happens to them. We see them get used up by the world and life and so on. We don't have to do that. We got the book. We just read the book. We do what the book says. Everything's good. So to hear that the end is coming but not having any tools or training to prepare for the end, it leaves people nervous or desperate or, or hopeless or apathetic. They just were like, I don't know. Man, that's what you guys say. Remember there was a movement here not five years ago where everybody was talking about, is there really a hell? The book says there's a hell, man. I'm going with what the book says. There's a hell. I don't want to be there. And I'm going to do everything in my power and the power of Christ to not be there. And he says, if my name is found in the Lamb's book of life, I don't have to go there. Now, you can question hell. And maybe there is and maybe there isn't. According to the book, there is. But maybe on the off chance, they wrote something down wrong, I don't want to take that chance. I'm going to go with what the book says. Follow Christ and him alone. I'll be good to go. I can be an eternity with Christ in heaven, and I don't have to worry about hell, unless it's like hot dog cooking day in heaven or something, and we can, you know, warm them up or whatever. But I ain't going, I mean, I do not want to go there. It is one of the motivations for me to tell other people and to remain faithful. It sounds weird and silly, but, you know, I don't even like a big bonfire. It can get out of control. Stuff's bad. Be careful. Don't fool with that. So with the promises of God in his word to lean on, knowing and accepting that the creator has the ultimate say, not only on my life, but on all life on earth. Did you think about that? He's in control of all of that. 
I can be hopeful. I can be joyous despite the things that go on in Washington, despite the things that are going on in Ukraine and Russia, despite the things that are going on in the world, negatives, despite the, the falling of most of South America into communism, despite those things, despite our own culture falling into communism, socialism, despite Canada turning to socialism, all those things, they, they're here. And I need to be here. I need to be vertical, not horizontal. That's all horizontal stuff. Anyway, if you want to read more about the, the end days, I'll give you these, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, basically, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 will get you real close, has an awful lot about the return of Christ and so on. 2 Thessalonians 2 and Matthew 24. Those are probably your three biggest um, places that give more detail than most other books about where we can find out more about Christ's return. We'll, we'll study up on that in the future. And you'll just get a better understanding of what the things we're looking for, but I don't want to get bogged down in that. Just continuing in 2 Peter, just know that there is an end of days that we need to be aware of. We need to be prepared for. We need to be prepared for listening for the trumpet. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, just after it tells us all these crazy things, and it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. I'm going to comfort you now with these words. You don't have to be here. You don't have to be here for it. You can go. You're free to not go to hell. You have that option, and I hope you see that. So obedience to the word, that's the comfort, is that the Bible tells that the Lord is coming back, and he's coming back for those that are his. And we can be freed from a lot of that torment and that apocalyptic stuff by just being obedient to his word. It says, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. By his grace, his long-suffering, it's been a long time since and until the trumpet blast. I mean, there's been days, you, you think when the Jews were being tormented by the Nazis in World War II, would that have been a good time for the Lord to return by man's standard? Yeah. But what it would have done was, by him coming then, there would have been people born after that that never got the opportunity to receive Christ. He's got an exact number of people, and until that last person that's ever going to be saved is saved, he's not coming back. And he waits until the Father says, go and get your children. He waits until then. It's an incredible thing what's going on in the heavenly realm. He's not unaware of the negative things that are going on, but it's not time yet. And when it is time, there won't be another second of time. And when we can get our, it's hard to get our minds around that. It's bigger than what we like to dwell on and think about. But he says, I go to pre prepare a place for you in my father's house or many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Right? I go to prepare a place for you. That word mansions is just a room, essentially. And very typical of the Jewish thing of when the young person got saved, or got saved, was fixing to get married, the father would make him add on to the house, on his father's house. And he, the father would inspect the room and not let the son go and get the bride until the room was completed. Because with like any young man, and he's got this pretty young thing over here, he's like, he's putting a tent in the yard, he's ready to go get old girl, right? I'll come on over to the new house, you know. And the father knows, having been married a while, he's like, she is not going to be happy with that, son. Let's, uh, let's put a little decorate, maybe a carpet on the floor or something, build some trusses in here, maybe a light or something, a sink, you know. And after the father inspects the place, then he releases the son to go get his bride. That's the picture. It's not necessarily a mansion like you're thinking five stories and castle. 
It's just a place. But it's a place attached to the Father's house. Jesus says, I'm going there. I'm going to make a place for you. And he's still making places. It's not that he's just working on your place and it's a super fancy room. He's making a place for every single person that will ever be saved. And when they're all completed and the last person ever going to be saved is saved, then the father will send his son just like the Jewish father would send his son to go get his bride. And he'll say, go get your bride. And not until then. J. Vernon McGee had a really good quote. He said, you can slap God in the face you can turn your back on him, you can blaspheme him, but you cannot keep him from wanting to save you. You cannot keep him from loving you, for he provided a savior, his own son, to die in your place. The Lord Jesus will save you if you will receive the salvation that he offers. But with that, it says in verse 10 here, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. There is a day when it's over. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also with all the works that are therein shall be burned up. That Greek word noise, with a great noise, it's the word rohizidon, rohizidon, rohizidon. I, want, I don't know, if you've, ever hear, if you've ever heard artillery or a mortar round hit, it's like, it goes like, boom. it's like hard at first and then it just goes, boom. and that's the word right there. When it comes, it's going to be a, and that's it. It talks about the things that are happening, the fervent heat. Everything dissolved, the elements will melt with fervent heat. And that word is the word uh, luo, which means to untie. When this happens, everything's coming untied. Everything. Um, I, was, I watched because of the anniversary thing, and then a couple little videos came up about September 11th. I watched a couple of them. Here's what I noticed September 11th. Young people, you should go back and figure out what happened. Why are there people that want to kill us? Near 3,000 died that day. Many more have died since then from health problems with the uh, with, uh, deal there. Um, and I followed that, that video. They got, a, they got one that just shows the plane hitting that second building from all different angles, different people that were videoing it. And then I followed that up with that, that grain elevator in Beirut that exploded. You remember that? And it was like as hard of a conventional type explosion that could go on short of a nuclear bomb. You remember this about three years ago? Um, that one there, uh, it was felt... Uh, 150 miles away in every direction, the blast was. Killed or crippled over 7,000 people. Destroyed all three major hospitals in the city. It blew out or damaged 95% of all the hotel rooms in the city. It left 300,000 people homeless. It just flattened the ground. It left a crater 400 and some odd feet across, about 140 feet deep. It was equivalent to 150, I'm sorry, 1,500 tons of TNT. And that's just an example of untying kind of on, on a big scale, something that we could see. You know, we see that collapse of the building, uh, of the towers in 9-11. Whatever your views on are that, on that, it, obviously a plane hit the second building. It's very obvious a plane hit that building. However it collapsed, whatever your views are on that. But that was definitely an untying. There's other examples of untying on the regional scale. Maybe, I don't know if you're watching this, what happened in Libya. Um, 11,000 people died plus of this dam that collapsed there. There was an earthquake in Morocco. Over 2,000 people died in one thing there. Point is, the Bible tells us that these terrible sorts of things will happen, 
yet the coming of the day of the Lord is much worse. One thing I noticed, uh, if the video had sound to it, when the plane hit the building, they showed it from different things, but there and then another one, when the plane hit the building, almost everybody said the same thing. You know what they said? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And they started shrieking. They started screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, over and over. And you could hear people hysterically screaming, oh, my God, or holy, boop, but oh, my God, oh, my God. When stuff starts coming apart, people scream, oh, my God. But they don't know who God is. But they know there is a God. The fool in his heart says, no, God. It's not that he doesn't know there's a God. He just says no to him. Oh, my God. Boom. All that we know of one day will be swooshed away. Everything that we think of, that we got a handle on and all those things. I wonder about what the wealthiest guy in Beirut, you think he was, when he, and that thing blew up, you think he was worried about the, the, the refing at the t-ball game or whatever sport they play there in Beirut? You think he was worried about that? If you, if you look at the towers, the twin towers, when the plane hit the one, they call her the lady with the, the waving lady. And there's a, there's just, she's standing, the whole side of the building's blown out, and she's ever how many hundred stories up. And she's just standing, and she's got a, a sweater or something. She's just waving for somebody to, to help her or something. You know? You think she was worried about, you know, what she was having for supper that night? You think she was worried about the score of the, the Vols? You think she cared about anything other than get me out or what's going to happen? Oh, my God. I'll tell you what she was saying. You know I mean, I could read her lips from 100 stories away. And it was, oh, my God. Save me. People started jumping from there. It was tragic, man. 3,000 people like that vaporized. When things start coming untied, it's bad. Knowing this, what manner of people ought we to be? That in the end, it's all going to come untied. But then the positive, there's always a positive, super negative. I know that was super negative, maybe. I was thinking about how those people were shrieking at, oh my God, oh my God. Luke 23, 48, it talks about those that were watching the uh, crucifixion and how they begin to shriek and beat their breasts. Revelation talks about those people who began, when an X number of people pass away, they begin to shriek and they begin to blaspheme God's name. Why? Because that's what we do when stuff comes apart. When stuff comes untied, that's what we do. When it became dark as night for, for uh, 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 whatever, the three hours there with Christ on the cross, when that happened, these people were like, oh my God, what have I done? Oh my God, what have I been a part of? I'm not saying, oh, my God, as a, as a slight. I'm saying to God, what have I done before you, God, to this man who was sent to be the Savior of the world? What have I done? What have I been a part of? But look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, believers, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Before we blame God, a lot of people are like, I can't believe that God would allow 3,000 people to perish in the Twin Towers. Yeah, I can't believe it wasn't more. By God's grace, ever how many escaped? It was by men's corruption that the plane hit the tower. 
It was by the wickedness of, of the Muslim mindset that they flew the plane into the tower. It was by the wickedness of the CIA and the FBI and all them guys that didn't get together on their notes. They knew it was coming, and they didn't act against it. Or the Libya flood, where they had built this shoddy dam, and then they'd released a bunch of water upstream, not caring about the poor people that live below. It wasn't God that blew the dam out. It was corrupt men that blew the dam out. Or the thing in Beirut, the same thing. It was corrupt men that held all this uh, nitrogen uh, and hydrous ammonia or whatever over there forever how long and wouldn't let it go away because they were trying to sell it on the side and they had a corrupt deal going and it fell apart. And they tried to put this other guy, whatever, put another guy in prison over it because he wouldn't pay up. They just held it there in bribery. And then they had fireworks stored beside it and some dummy was welding on a door beside a bunch of fireworks and stuff blew up and, and ever how many thousand people were killed. It wasn't God. God does appoint a day for a man's death. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. But don't discredit the amount of effort man puts into destroying other men. It's corrupt men. It's the corrupt evil one. When unrighteous men are involved in events, it takes lives. When unrighteous men are involved in politics, it, it oppresses and afflicts people. God's not an oppressor. He's not an afflictor. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. Every bad and negative thing comes up from the man or the evil one. Man, all the construction methods in this day are going to be perfect. We look according to his promise for a new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In the city of God, there will be no exploding towers. There will be no dams bursting. There will be no uh, uh, grain elevators exploding because it will all be made perfect. It will be made perfect construction materials, perfect contractors, perfect builders. It will all be in perfection. It's only in imperfection that things start falling apart, but in perfection all things hold together. There'll be no sinful or corrupt desires for the death of another person to make a guy fly an airplane into a building and kill as many as he can. Only righteousness, it says, will rule there. Rule in a place where righteousness dwells. The Bible says in Colossians 1.17, He, Christ, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the opposite of low. He's super glue. And this helps me to hold on to those material things of earth pretty, pretty loosely, knowing that the power of God to untie things is much greater than anything I can tie together. I've built a lot of stuff, and most of it's still standing. I can't think of anything that's not standing, but it's just not been the right tornado that's hit it, or it would untie, right? Um. But I can see better now as I see how God works and the things that he thinks is important, which is the soul of men, the spirit of men. And I see that as so important to him. I'm thinking, well, why am I worried about how much money I got in the bank? Money's nice, right? It's nice. It's good to be able to buy food and turn the air conditioner on or the heat in the winter. That's nice. But it's not the thing. You know, why am I holding on to these things? I can be a freer person in my personal life knowing that either by rapture or death, none of this stuff is coming with me. And if that's the case, what am I trying to hold on to? I can serve others more highly than myself because of the things of the soul being more important than the things of the earth. 
knowing that, God tells me that, I can do that, I can do that. People can disagree with the way that I serve other people, and it's irrelevant because I don't have to please you, I have to please God. People can disagree with, with whether or not we give food to this person or we give money to a drunk that's on the side of the road, but I don't have to please the person in the car with me, I have to please the God of creation that says, that guy over there, I want you to speak to that man, I want you to help that man. We don't have to please, I don't have to please Charlie Alva, but I do got to please the Father. I mean, we get in conflict with one another, looking at what other people are doing, and we're like, why is he doing that? Man, it, I don't know. Are you pleasing the Lord like you're supposed to? Ask that question, answer that question, and then you can worry about the whole feller over there. Please him. Serve him. Knowing this, it says, and it said, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, I'm telling you, I'm reading it to you. That's what it says in the book. I'm warning you now beforehand, before the trumpet blast, get it together. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. He's holding all these things together. Look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blemish. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. The Bible says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's the salvation. I can't rely on any, I mean, I'm going to tell you, prepare for disappointment here in about a year and a half and whoever gets elected. That's all I'm going to tell you. Prepare yourself. It ain't going to be good. It ain't going to matter. Republican or Democrat, I promise you, they do not have your best interests at heart. Here's my political speech I'm going to tell you. They are not on your team. They are their own team. And you are the enemy. They are their team. You are the good team. They are the bad team. We are not on their team. They're on a different team. And their, their goal is to oppress us and put their foot on our neck. Know that, and knowing that, what do I do? I look forward to these things, to Christ's return. I look forward to, to being diligent to be found by him in peace with my neighbors. You know what's going to be most important as things keep getting kind of negative like they're going? is to know who your neighbors are. Know your neighbors. Go, go meet your neighbor. Go give them the gospel. Go talk to them. Go drink coffee with them. Get to know them. This is the team, I'm telling you. They're on a different team up there. My help doesn't come from men. My help doesn't come from a political guy. Go and vote. But no, he ain't on your team. Go vote. There's only one person where our help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. I should be able to trust my brothers and sisters in Christ, and even they'll let you down. My hope comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. My, the grace, it comes from God. The mercy, it comes from God. It all comes from him. Verse 16, it says uh, about Paul, and if you read Romans, you're like, man, this guy's hard to understand. And this, Peter probably was like, he read Romans, he's like, man, this guy, killing us. But he says, some things are hard to understand. Some of the things that we read in God's Word, it just doesn't make sense to us. But what we do know, what we can trust, what we know for sure, is that our God is all-powerful. Our God, the creator of all things, we can trust him. That's what we need to know. We can spend a lot of time, eschatology, that's last, last days, kind of uh, trying to figure that out, or theology, or doctrines. We can spend a lot of time digging into those things and getting all this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus told us himself, what's the most important thing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get those two things right, other stuff will fall in line. Get that right, and you'll be good to go. And we don't have to worry about those things. You, you knew this beforehand. 
beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Wow. We can remain faithful to the Lord. We can grow in grace. We can do all those things. We have the capability. We know how to do it. We read the book before. We've heard about the book. If you haven't read it, start reading it. If you can't read, Charlie Alva's a teacher. He'll teach you how to read. Begin to hear the book. Put it on Put it on your radio and listen to the book on tape if you can't read. I'm not slighting you for not being able to read. I'm saying get to know the book because the book tells us who the king is. Get, get, get to be friends with the king because the king is coming. Just do what the book says and you'll be fine. I want us to prepare our spirits there before we, before we take communion. and We're going we're gonna to serve communion this morning. And on this day of of triumph and remembrance of the returning king, there's, there's some negative things that happen there. And so the first thing that we could do, knowing that this is this Feast of Trumpets and that the trumpet alerts us to the return of the king, that today, today is the day of salvation. So the first thing I need to know, the Bible says to examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. First thing I need to know is am I of the faith? If I'm of the faith, then the second thing I need to know or need to do. It says, what manner of person should I be? Am I being diligent to be these things that it tells us to do in, in Peter there? Be diligent to be found in peace without spot or blemish. Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If I am, everything is going to be okay. If I'm not, well, we have this opportunity right now to, to go before the Lord before we begin, before we begin with music, before we begin with serving. We can go before the Lord and we can confess our sins because he is faithful and just to cleanse us, uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So before we take communion, let's take a moment, just in silence there before you, if you have a grudge against another man uh, or against God or sin or, or backsliddenness, whatever you got going on there, deal with that first. Confess your sin. He will forget, cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, and you can start with a clean slate as we begin to, to break bread together. Just a moment there. Just bow your heads. Father, I know that different people have different things going on in their lives. And I ask for your mercy on these and, and on myself, Lord, as I know the different um, thoughts that I've had and the different actions of my, of my mouth and my hands and my feet, Lord, that not all of them are honoring to you, Lord. I ask for your mercy now. You're so good to us. You forgive us for all of our transgressions, particularly if we forgive those who sin against us. So, Lord, I, I first of all pray for those that we have sinned against, Lord, that you would um, give us peace in that. Give us the strength to go and ask for forgiveness in that. Um, give us the, the boldness to go and do what we know to, that is right to do. Father, for those that have sinned against us, Lord, and hurt us, Lord, I pray that we can forgive those and that their, their harm would be just superficial, Lord, knowing that you are a father and that you care for us greatly and that you want to see us healed. And Father, if we have sin in our lives from the things that we've done where we've against you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. I think of those things as we confess those before you, Lord. The sins that we've done in our own flesh against you, Lord, I pray uh, for your forgiveness in those things. And I, and I turn from those things. I ask that we would be uh, turning a new foot in the direction of the Messiah, Lord, and following him in service and in grace. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, to us.
We ask you to be with us now as we break bread together in communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Just while you're there, ask them to come and sing. Just receive the, th we have an open table there if you'd like to receive. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, you are free to partake in the, in the communion now.
the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. The flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. Heaven's grand stands all in place. Heaven's choir now assembled starts to sing amazing grace. Oh, the King is coming, the King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the King is coming, the King is coming. Praise God, he is coming for me. chapter 6, and every man, every human man that sees God face to face, it says they fall to the ground like a dead man. And we, we in my mind, I'm, I'm the kind of reader that in my mind, when I read things, I can kind of see it like a movie. Some of they say some people can't do that. But when I read, I can, I can see it going on. And I was, I was reading that in Revelation where it talked about the angel and he had the he had the, it was not, a, it's not the word, the, the thing that the incense comes in, I can't remember what it's called, but the incense burner. Anyway, what was it called? Censor. The censor full of incense. And it says that he, he hurls it. When I was reading it, I'm like, I can see him up there, and, they're, and they're just fixing the discipline on the earth, and I could just see him like spinning it and slinging it towards the earth and ever how many thousand people. I could just see it. I was like, man, I'm reading it, and it's like stunning, shocking. Listen to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. <clears throat> and a train of his robe filled the temple until it, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away, and your sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Just the... the, the Apparently, the, the, the length of the robe has to do with the status of the king. And some kings of lesser kingdoms had these shorter robes. And these ones with the, like the more kingdoms, they had these longer robes. It says his robe, the train of his robe, it fills the temple. Because he's the king of all kings, lord of all lords. He's over all creation. All authority is under his feet. Everything. And he wears the long robe. You don't get to wear the long robe. You got the little fuzzy collar. He's got the long robe, and it fills the temple. It's pretty amazing. It's an amazing scripture. I thought it'd be a, a better day to celebrate 
uh, communion this time of the month rather than the first of the month because I knew this this feast was coming and and um, I wanted to read this out of Matthew 26 starting in verse 17. The reason we take communion is because Christ told us to and the best thing we can do is do whatever it is God tells us to do and that's what he told us to do. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus saying to him where do you want us to go to prepare the for you, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man, say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Here's a life lesson for you. If Jesus tells you to do something, just do that. He told them to go and prepare a place, and that's what they went and did. They prepared the Passover. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them. I want to go ahead and read from Isaiah 53, and then we'll conclude in Matthew there. Isaiah 53 is where it's described the king who's coming, but what he has to suffer at the hands of wicked men uh, before his work on earth can be completed. It's in Isaiah 53. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Here's our bread, the same bread that's been used by the Jews for thousands of years. And we have the, the smitten mark, the bruising from the strikes. We have the piercings, the hole, the holes, and we have the stripes from the wounds that were put on his back. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, for his knowledge, for by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. Because, he's, because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. When Christ read that to the disciples there in Matthew, it blew them away for him to take the piece of the bread, the afikomen, out the dessert, and to break it in front of them and say, this is my body broken for you. It blew their minds. They'd been eating that bread for so long, they had no idea it was talking about the Messiah. But when he took it, it made perfect sense Now as they were eating, Jesus said, Surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And if you've ever had Passover, you know you have those common bowls of food. And all of them had reached into the bowl, just like you did, just like Peter did. They all reached in the bowl. Who's going to speak against them? Who's going to betray him? Well, we all did. 
We all ate out of the bowl. One worse than others, but we all did. Every one of them ran away. Hmm. They were exceedingly sorrowful because each one of them was thinking. Uh, they began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Because I ate out of the bowl. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And then Judas, when he says, Lord, is it I? He goes, you're the guy. Then Judas, uh, sorry, he answered and said, he who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, you have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it, took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples, said, take, eat, this is my body. The same prayer they've prayed for thousands of years over the bread we'll pray this morning. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. Like with the bread and the Passover meal, if you ever get to do one, you know, we have the multiple cups, the four cups, and then we have the fifth cup for Elijah. But he takes the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he lifts it up. He took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the prayer was the same as it always was. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth fruit from the vine. In the eating of his body and the drinking of his blood, they, were, they became a team with Christ. They were, they were in on what he was doing. And it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. I want to go to John for our, for our final song. We're not going to read a song. We're not going to read a psalm as usual. But I want to read this, this last prayer of Christ. So John has different information on Passover meal than, than Matthew did. But here's this prayer. He's talking to him and telling him what he wants from him, what they're going to develop, what they're going to produce. And this is what I wanted you to see in John, in John chapter 17, starting in 14. Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You were prayed for on that day by Messiah in the garden. He says, I do not pray for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. By the testimony of the apostles, you heard the word of God and you responded to it and you accepted Christ and you were saved. That they may all be one. This is something odd too that Jews and Gentiles could be combined into the body of Christ and be saved and live in eternity with him forever. They may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
And the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in me, in one, I'm sorry, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The King is coming. I pray that you're ready today to receive him. I pray that you understand your duty as a believer, and that's to tell others of the hope that's within you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We present the the uh, the offering of of communion before you. I pray that it was a satisfactory smell to you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that your lampstand would never be removed from our church, Lord, that your holy anointing oil would be filling it, and that the Holy Spirit would be the leader in the in the messages given, Lord. I thank you for your goodness towards us and your long-suffering towards us. I pray for your mercy towards us. I pray for these here this week as we go about in the world that you would protect us from the evil one, that you would make our path straight and that we would seek to do your will above all. I thank you for these that have come, Lord. I pray if one be not saved today, that today would be the day of their salvation. They would seek the Lord while he may still be found and they would, they would be restored, Lord, to newness of life. Thank you for your goodness again, Lord. Thank you for the hands that prepared the food this morning. I pray that the songs were a sweet offering to you. I pray that the word was the word you had for us today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.